What a Monday morning it is as we bring you You Can Take Me Now. I've seen it all live from the Fox Sports Podcast Centre. Doesn't really have a name. We shouldn't name this room after somebody. Who would you... Matty Russell is with us uh, this morning. Lara Pitt is on assignment once again, uh, doing some investigative work, um, all to do with uh, pink beanies and grey beanies, I think, and the money raised, more than $3 million raised for the Mark Hughes Foundation. What an effort it was over the weekend. Uh, who should we name the podcast room after, Matty? Well, Clive Churchill is taken. The Clive Churchill studio already exists. It would yeah. have to be someone who liked to immerse himself beneath the levels and delve into all the issues, uh, chew the fat and see if we can find some solution, some famous rugby league identity who um, like to just sit beneath the high-profile powers that be and and come up with different solutions. Can you think of anyone, Was I'm struggling. We might come back to that. We might throw it out to the listeners. Who should we name our podcast room after? I don't know. The old saying is you never ask a question you don't know the answer <laughs> yeah. to. And I've asked yeah. a question, I've got no question. When you asked that, I thought, my goodness, who can I come up with here? Yeah. Well, I don't we'll think, know. Well, throw it open and you can contact me at Warren Smith Fox or at Matt Russell Fox as well on Twitter and send us your suggestions as to who the Fox Sports Podcast HQ Centre, little room that we Buzz have Buzz Aldrin? Here. Did he spend under some the, time in a pod? Under the stewardship of the great Phil Pryor, who's looking after things once again this morning. Great to have you on board, Phil. 50 so, years since the moon landing. He... Buzz Aldrin spent some time in a pod somewhere, so the Buzz, the Buzz Aldrin <laughs> Podcast Centre. How about that? That's insane. <laughs> I'm the sure Buzz someone Aldrin. can beat that. He's still going, Buzz, and pretty feisty as well. I saw a, uh, a little video. Aldrin, that is, it, not it, Rothfield. It may have been, yeah, Buzz Aldrin. It may have been on Twitter, and a, a flat earther or a, no, sorry, a, a non-moon landing, I guess, conspiracy theorist, somebody who believes they didn't actually go to the moon, and that it was all done in a Hollywood film set somewhere, in a soundstage out in the middle of the Utah desert or something. Um, and this person approached Buzz with his view on this and Buzz uh, got the dukes up and said, mate, I was there, trust me. I was on the moon with Neil and, uh, yeah, so if you want to keep spouting off your conspiracy theory, ding, 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 let's go. I think I've heard that story. I thought he laid one on his chin. I think he did. I think, I he think did Buzz might let one go. <laughs> yeah, go Buzz. <laughs> Um, I'm glad you mentioned Mark Hughes there, and without any prompting, uh, it was a highlight to be at Beanie for Brain Cancer Stadium, as it was named on Friday night. The goodwill towards the Mark Hughes Foundation, which does so much good work raising funds for brain cancer awareness. A couple of stats that you read out each year was, but just jump off the page to me, brain cancer kills more kids than any other disease. Let that settle in. Kills more kids than any other disease and kills more under 40s than any other cancer. Yeah. It only gets 5% of government funding for cancer research. Well, rather than complain about that fact, Mark Hughes, his wife, Kiralee, said, well, let's do something about it. And they raise millions of dollars each year. Nathan Brown put it superbly in his post-match media conference about how selfless Mark Hughes is, about what an individual he is, and the fact that the rugby league fraternity as a whole embraces it as they do with every coach and player donning the beanie for pre-game interviews, making the whole week about the Mark Hughes Foundation and, most importantly, raising funds for brain cancer research. I think the game deserves a pat on the back after what we saw 
saw over the weekend. And having done the Roosters and the Bulldogs yesterday, Trent Robinson coming out in the past 24 or 48 hours saying that he's going to walk up to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro as a fundraising effort as well for the Mark Hughes Foundation, which is terrific. And he said the training has begun and I'd suggest that Robbo keeps doing a lot of training. I had a mate who did that walk and older than me, so he must. I guess he was just on the other side of 50 at that stage and he had massive issues um, as far as altitude sickness and the like getting to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. So it's not like just a little casual walk up to the top of the Three Sisters up the Blue Mountains or whatever. Uh, it's it's legit. So good luck, Robbo, and, and fantastic that you're... Uh, you're doing it your part for the Mark Hughes Foundation. What an effort. Have you got something that you haven't done, Was that's on the bucket list that troubles you that you haven't done it, that you'd like to do along those lines? I've always thought and wanted to walk Kokoda. Uh, I haven't done it yet, and time is running out as my knees can attest some Monday mornings. Um, I'd like to do it with my boys. I don't know whether I'll ever do it, but it's something that just nags in the back of my brain. I, I want to have a crack at it. What about you? I was just thinking about the uh, Janolan Caves walk, the six-foot track from Janolan Caves to Katoomba. I've That's done it. <laughs> have you done I've the six-foot six foot track? track? I did it with my father, yep. Uh, it was a three, two or three-night yeah, expedition. It's a couple of nights. It's yeah. three days, two nights. And it was it was fantastic as a walk and also as a father-son experience. There were a couple of dads and a group of boys that did it. And the six-foot track, I can thoroughly recommend it. Yeah, well, I was going to start there and maybe build up to the Kokoda track <laughs> or something like that. But a bit like you, uh, time is of the essence. Mm. I guess once the, once the kids leave school... Might be a bit easier, but yeah, you know, that's just making excuses. If I wanted wanted to do it, you could you could make room yes. to do it. Yes, I invariably, you know, tick off things on my bucket list that are sort of golf courses. <laughs> so, which is why, um, on a family trip to Europe over Christmas uh, eight months ago, seven months ago, whatever it is now, uh, I played the old course at St Andrews, which was pretty high on the bucket list. I thought, you know, if I do nothing else, I'm going to play where the game, you know, where the game is purported to have begun um, in that part of the world. So I played the old course two days in a row and uh, that was good fun. Every game of golf, every round of golf is a good walk was, just some of them happen to be ruined. That's right. And I can ruin them (laughs) with the best of them. Do you reckon Graham Annesley might need a couple of games of golf this weekend just to clear his mind? What what have you made of all the uh, flotsam and jetsam out of the weekend, of which there is significant amounts and the referees, we knew knew it was coming. At the start of the year when we said they're going well, it's a a honeymoon period under Graham Annesley. I think you said it was. Mm -hmm. It's going to come and it's here. It's here right now. Uh, Born out of inconsistencies in terms of match review findings, born out of um, calls on the weekend that leave us bemused. I must admit, I'll fly the flag. I left the ground on Friday night second-guessing myself, asking me myself, do I really understand rugby league these days? Do I need to go and spend more time with players and officials and renew my grasp at ground level? Because the Viliami kick-out suspension last week, I went on NRL tonight with Megan Barnard every Tuesday and I said it'll be the shortest judiciary hearing of the year. It'll be three minutes. They'll have one look. He'll be exonerated. By the time I got home, it was still going and then he was suspended for multiple weeks. I couldn't believe it. I didn't think the hit was late. I didn't think it was high. I didn't think it was a shoulder charge, yet he's suspended for a shoulder charge. And then we see Kalen Ponga collide into Michael Cheekan uh, and get sin-binned when we didn't even think it should be a penalty, only to have the next day, my faith restored a little when the match review committee said, no, no, 
game day officials wrong, no charge to answer. And as a little sidelight here, what about the class of Caelan Ponga to be asked by Megan sure. after the game, was it a shoulder charge? He said, I don't care so long as the player is okay. As a young man in his early 20s to have that sort of maturity, it speaks a lot about Caelan Ponga. But back to the story. Um, yeah, some of the inconsistencies, some of the rulings are causing me grief as a commentator who thought I had a pretty good grasp on what was and wasn't an illegality. And it all stems basically from concussions and duty of care of players and a contact sport trying to evolve itself and trying to stay current with people's expectations and certainly the expectations of participants and former participants and their lawyers or potential lawyers that may well be looking after them into the future as far as any litigation is concerned. And when you boil it all down, that's that's the, the nub of the, the situation at the moment. The game is undergoing an evolution because, if not a revolution, because of the potential for litigation either now and or into the future. Uh, was, and we forget very quickly, and it's a big story at the time, and then we forget all about it, in a, in a very short space of time, we found out that uh, Steve Folkes uh, had uh, some level of CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and um, there are two other players. Or one of those, so Steve was one of the two players who it was um, announced um, has been diagnosed with CTU, of course, post-mortem. Around that same time, uh, in that same week, the story came out that there are currently three legal firms who are actively seeking players and speaking to former players who have issues and issues potentially, uh, and it will be tested in court at some stage. Um, James McManus at the moment, the former Newcastle Knight, is um, investigating you know, his legal um, recourse in regards to the NRL and his care as a player in his time playing the game. And also Brett Horsnell is another player who is... Um, pursuing that same avenue. But right now, Mitri Lawyers, Bannister Law and Cahill Lawyers, three different firms right there, have been investigating this situation for more than six months and they are looking to launch either a joint or separate class actions on behalf of players. And this hangs over the NRL administration like a lead cloud. It, it casts a pall at the moment, I'm sure, over the administration. And everything you see happen in the last two to three weeks and happen on the field during the game and happen at Newcastle with Kalen Ponger and that collision with Michael Cheekham, which left Michael Cheekham convulsing, all of that has to be viewed through the prism of legal action and potential legal action and the... Um, whether the governing bodies in not just the NRL, it's the AFL, it's gridiron as we know, the NFL, it will be all sports, all contact sports are going to go through this and are all going through this. They are now facing the prospect of this is the, what the game was. How is the game going to be played in the future? What does the game look like? And what do we do to try and, A, have a duty of care that looks after the players in the best possible light, and also reduce our our openness, our um, prospect of being litigated against by players. Well, let's extrapolate this. Let's use the Kalen Ponga incident where I believed it was accidental 
incidental contact. And I spoke with a member of the uh, Newcastle coaching staff afterwards who was adamant that that was the case. And the explanation we received on the night was that Kalen was playing the man, not at the ball. But Kalen was in a three-way race to the ball. Between the ball and Ponga was Michael Cheekham. As he reached out to get the ball, then he realised Cheekham was going to be in the road and braced for impact. And to me, it was a classic case of accidental or incidental, call it what you will, contact. So what can the game do in that instance to make life safer for Michael Cheekham, if anything? Well, the game can't really do anything because there's always that potential for in a high-speed, high-contact collision sport for something like that to happen. Which so is that, what the players sign up for. So that prospect is is always there. Of course, people weren't happy that Kalen Ponga was subsequently sent to the sin bin, but after everything I've just said about the various law, law firms looking into this situation and the players taking action at the moment and those who will join them in the future... All of this, and it's like with the referees as far as stopping play for injured players or letting the game flow, and at the start of the season, the message from the NRL was the game is going to flow. That um, in some way influences every decision that's made on the field by the referees, whether to stop play or not stop play. And now pretty much I've seen you know a number of examples over the last two weeks, they're stopping play. Yeah, They're taking no chances, and I've got no issue with that because I would do exactly the same thing in the same situation. And so with um, the bunker who came in and said, Caelan Ponga's got an issue there, he needs to be placed on report, contact with the head, he needs to go and spend 10 minutes in the sin bin. Now, subsequently... Because they an active foul play in the process of a try being scored. In the cold light of day afterwards, or having seen an, another bunch of, you know, um, replays of it, either before the game ends or in the, in the minutes after the game ends where you've got time to go back and take a look at it again. I understand the people get upset, but the bunkers in this situation, they're the, they're the meat and the sandwich. On one side, they've got the governing body who is frightened to death about what the game is go, about to undergo as far as legal action is concerned and their part in it and what they're trying to do to limit their exposure to those situations. And then they've got, you've got, on the other side, you've got the fans who just, just want to see footy. They want to see footy as it's always been played and they want to see collisions. They don't want to see people get knocked out. We know that. They don't want to see Michael Cheekham, you know, on the ground convulsing. It was a terrible situation. And again, as you said, Kalen Ponga, to have the composure afterwards to say, look, I don't really care what happens to me. I'm, all I'm cared about is mm. Michael Cheekham. That's all I care about. Um, I hope he's okay. He said, if I get charged, I get charged. Doesn't matter. Yeah, just hope he's okay. It was, it was unbelievable. He's, a, he's a, an impressive young bloke in yeah, a number of yeah. ways, as, apart from his athletic ability. So you've got the bunker there, and they, they're sitting there, and they, all they've heard for the last two or three weeks is, we, you know, we're, we're protecting players with duty of care, looking after players' heads, trying to limit contact, and there they have that situation, and they make a call. They have to make a call one way or the other. So it's 50-50. Yeah. And in that situation, with the background, with everything that the game is going through at the moment, this evolution, and, and trust me, it is an absolute evolution. They need, to, people need to understand that this is the situation in which those making decisions are operating. And they made a call. Now, 
yeah, I'm going to say in the cold light of day they got the call wrong, but I'm not going to criticise them for that. And I know you, people say you never criticise the refs because, you, you know, you're just a great ref supporter. Well, I've criticised the refs, you know, a bunch of times as far as bunker decisions in the most part. The on-field refs I'm pretty solid with because I think they have a super tough job, the toughest officiating job in the world of sport, in my opinion. Mm. But... And you know yeah. what? They're, they're, they're the sort of blokes who, when you say he got that wrong, you'll bump into them at the airport and they'll shake your hand, look you in the eye, they'll chat to you, they'll say, yeah, I did get that wrong. They'll own it. They are the most mature people when it comes to receiving negative feedback. We've all done it as commentators. That is a bad call. That is the wrong call. And yet they handle... They don't... I've never had one, you know, treat you differently because you've called out what you've all seen, what the viewer at home has seen, and said that's a bad call. They don't mind that. Whereas I've dealt with a lot of players or coaches who have made an error or uh, come up with maybe a less than desirable selection and um, I'm very happy to let you know that there's a bit of a grudge there. So, you know, I hold the referees in high regard as well. I just want to touch quickly on the shoulder charge was if we're legitimate about being uh, oriented towards duty of care, do we need to go back and redress the shoulder charge and refine it so that when little fullbacks come across to make a tackle, they are allowed to use their shoulder like Matt Dufty did rather than having to put their head in a dangerous place and try and commit some tackle that is ultimately more dangerous than the reaction. I used to say with Chrissy Sando, remember his shoulder charges? A lot of the time it was because he was such a diminutive frame. He had a big forward running at him. He realised that the forward had stepped last minute. He couldn't put his head down for it and he'd just do the shoulder charge. And sometimes Chrissy made it look spectacularly effective. So do we need to go back and say, right, our blanket ban of the shoulder charge is actually making it dangerous for some of the smaller players in our game? No. And we need to refine it so that, yes, if it's high contact or or a sort of classic shoulder charge, GI on Dean Young, you're looking at a hefty suspension. But if you're coming across in cover like Billy Slater or Matt Dufty or even Kalen Ponga the other night, um, do we need to refine that? No, I, well, and uh, if if we if the answer well, is no, has, aren't we leaving players in a taking a a valuable tool out of their safety armory? I think it has been refined because I think we've seen a couple of situations in recent times where fullbacks have come across and it's allowed and haven't subsequently been charged. And, and we saw Billy Slater beat the charge again. Maybe that was the test case in the week leading up to the grand final. And as a result, the match review, review committee is loath to charge a fullback coming across. Uh, given what happened at the judiciary panel with Billy Slater in the lead-up to the grand final last year. My only addendum to that is, at some point, a fullback coming across is going to get the timing wrong and hit somebody in the head, and that player is going to be concussed badly, and then everyone's going to go, well, what about the player who just got concussed? What, what do we do now? Well, Graham Annesley addressed this in his weekly football meeting last week and basically went on the record as saying that those tackles are not the sort of tackles that the sh- banning the shoulder charge was meant to eliminate. But it does highlight how great it is. You know, there's a, the, the, the shoulder char- classic shoulder charge, we can all pick it. But there is a, a significant grey area. So you're right, the change has already been made and viewers of Rugby League need to have that on board. When it comes to lifting tackles, we said recently that we are happy to err on the side of being too precautionary given the catastrophic results that can happen if a lifting tackle goes wrong. But we've seen Isaac Luke, Nick Kotrick and Jake Trebojevich all cop different, different gradings. gradings and punishments. And I can understand how uh, viewers sit at home frustrated not being able to read 
um, what is a grade one, what is a grade two, why Nick Kotrick can't play but Jake Trebojevic can. So let's look at those two examples because Ricky Stewart asked this question after the game against the Panthers yesterday and he said, which one is wrong? Because the question was asked, what did you make of Jake Trevojevic? Was that was that a wrong call? And he's like, no, I think that's the right call. The wrong call, in his opinion, was charging Nick Kontrick with the grade three that has seen him on the sidelines for the Canberra Raiders. So which one, in your opinion, is wrong? I think they're both wrong. I think they both – I think I said it at the time, if Nick is going to get three weeks, um, then while it's unfortunate – it's a, it's a tackle gone wrong. If we can do anything now to make players' alarms go off earlier in that lifting process, I'm happy for Nick to spend three weeks on the sideline, even though I think it's tough. Because I'd much rather make the er- error in Nick missing a game than wheeling a bloke in here in a wheelchair. So, so I if- think Jake Trebojevic needed to get a heavier, a heavier sentence than what he got. Yeah, well, you know, having had that barometer, that benchmark just so recently as well, fresh in the minds of and they go when they're sitting at the when the match review committee goes through these situations, they have all of these things logged and they go back and they sit there on a screen and they watch them. They'll look at various examples that they're thinking, um, you know, dangerous throw. They'll go back and look at the last seven, eight goodness knows how many dangerous throw charges and say, where does that fit? Of course, it's very malleable, and in our evolution of looking after players, uh, charges are getting more stringent. Um, they're coming down heavier on players as a result. So with that one in mind from Nick Kotrick just only a few weeks back, hard to work out how they came up with Jake Travojevic's charge. And, and mm. as good a bloke and great player and clean skin that Jake Travojevic is, he has no priors. Um, it doesn't come into, into reckoning, though, into your calculations. If Nick Kotrick was a grade three, then I'm sorry, Jake's is a grade three as well. Yeah, and, and people need to get through their mind. When we're talking about incidents, it's irrelevant whether he's a good bloke or not. We're, we're talking about all of these course. players as if they're a good bloke. It's purely the tackle. Yeah. It could be it could be a three-year-old Bambi making the tackle. You, you, it's, it's the tackle. It's not the person doing it. You know, like, <laughs> and the tackles were the same. The tackles were bad. As soon as a player ends up head towards the ground, it only takes another player getting involved. And, and yeah, as I said, it can be catastrophic. So that, that, was, that was frustrating. And, and Ivan yesterday at um, Panthers Stadium, a lot of uh, fallout from the referee interaction between firstly Maloney, then James Tamo, and then as events would have it, Tamo with Ashley Klein in the tunnel as the coach walked past and said something to the referee. Uh, it looks like it will fizzle out, but... I'm sure Ivan has learned a lesson, as have other coaches. No matter how frustrated you are, save it for the phone calls that come on Monday and Tuesday. Don't throw a verbal barrage or a verbal uh, grenade across the corridor. Yeah. Well, we, Andy Raymond was right there uh, on his duties. Reported as brilliantly sideline. Sideline reporter for uh, Fox Sports yesterday at that game. And we might have to get a transcript script from as best as Andy's recollection would lend itself to uh, writing down what uh, Ivan, what his advice to uh, the referees was yesterday. Uh, just, just to finish off on our point on, you know, this whole evolution of the game and everything, uh, does contact sport exist? And this is going to sound extreme. Does contact sport exist in 100 years? Well, look how far we've come in the last 10 years in terms of modifying the game in terms of broader political correctness, in terms of occupational health and safety, workplace practices. Um, I'm on the record of saying I think in many regards we've gone 
way overboard, way too far. And if it continues on the current path, there can only be one answer. No. So contact sport in your mind... So uh, if, 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 if there we is continue no contact... on this path, how can there be? Yeah, it's... We, we've banned the punching, we've banned the shoulder charge. We're now having... Uh, players, but you can still play contact players, sport without those things. Yeah, of course you can. Of course but you can, can Can we play contact sport with this pall of litigation and, you know, we'll, we will know more in five years' time. It might The question might be being asked too early because until we test these cases in the mm. court of law and we find out if anybody is being held, held responsible and what the recompense is for the, the players, um, those who are taking court cases to court and saying my duty of care wasn't looked after, um, they were, you know, negligent in duty of care if that's the way it turns out and there's a class action and a number of players are due X amount of dollars as compensation, That that's when I guess we know mm. more what the future of contact sport is. But they're asking this question in America at the moment off the back of Gridiron with the NFL and what's happening over there, the way the game has changed and will continue to change and as more cases are tested over there. I guess we'll wait and see. I mean, that this I only say this is just because this is the sort of question that the NRL is asking. What does the game look like and how do we limit our exposure to being sued in the future? And and they everything that happens... On the field, as I say, at the moment, as far as the referees and these rule changes and interpretations, you have to think of this evolution of the game and say these are the reasons why things are changing. And it's not the game that I grew up playing or watched, but it can't be. It just can't be because the care of players has to be so stringent now. If it's not, then sporting bodies, whether it be rugby league, rugby union, Australian football, soccer, you name it, if there's collisions and the potential for you know, injuries as a result, then things are going to change. And it seems extreme to say it, but there is a real chance down the track that I don't know what contact sport looks like if it exists down the track. Well, I, don't, well, I, I guess we will maybe beyond your lifetime and my lifetime, but at some point things will look vastly different to what they do now and people in the future will look back and go, Wow, can you believe they played this stuff? Well, honestly. Hopefully the dramatic correction will reach its plateau and then contact sport can continue to be enjoyed because it's been enjoyed for decades, for hundreds of years. I enjoyed playing it, as did you. Our kids enjoyed playing it. You speak to veterans of the elite rugby league competition who played in a different era where it was brutal and they say, I knew what I was getting in for. I, I, I put my hand up. I loved it. It's given me everything I've got in my life. So I hope that the correction serves to better protect the athletes but we find our happy niche and then continue to sail forward and that contact sport does exist. But do I have fears? Of course I do. Yeah, I mean, I was watching something, I can't think what it was last week and I thought, geez, I wish there was a live game of footy on because I just want to see, I don't want to, I don't want to see blokes belting each other, I just want to see a game of footy, you know, the excitement it brings and... The, you know, obviously we're biased because we work in the industry, but it's hard to beat rugby it league. What a, it's a fantastic game at its best. It's so exciting. Gets us screaming like lunatics in the commentary box and I'm at home carrying on. Well, here's Mark Gaznier and I having called the, the Titans and the Broncos on Saturday night. We're staying at Cool and Gatter, so we get back to the, uh, the hotel as soon as we can and then we go to the Cool and Gatter Hotel 
where we're the, the very last two people to be served in the bistro. They're just about to close it up and they said, well, sit down, we'll grab something for you. And um, the pub's next door and they're carrying on. There's a band playing and whatever else. And we're sitting there watching in silence because we can't hear the, the, um, the commentary. We're watching the Seagulls and Manly and all the drama at the end of the second half and then Golden Point. And, we're sitting, and uh, people, if they were looking through the glass at us, our arms are going up <laughs> and we're reacting and carrying on and I'm slapping Gaz and we're like, oh, can you believe that he's hit the upright? Oh, now he's hit the upright. So it was just, just ridiculous. And I'm thinking... Yeah. How good is this? It's a phenomenal sport. It's sensational entertainment. How good was the round? The, the whole round was. You're right. It was uh, that's and that game. W- would you call it the game of the season, Manly Storm? Yeah, yeah it's easy so. to say. And then you think, well, how many times have I thought there's a contender for game of the season? But it was a it was a beauty. I mean, Roosters Storm earlier this year when the Roosters won twenty one twenty with yeah, all those players. That was missing. a good one. Cracking game down there as well. There have been some beauties. Cool and Gatta Hotel was. I was there a few years ago. <laughs> Here we go. Is <laughs> it Matt Russell's story? And you know what? There was a seagull fly into the kitchen, and I thought to myself, "What? How did the how did a seagull get in here? And did why it, did it fly in the kitchen? It gets better. Did it come out? The batted? chef, the chef carried the seagull out. I don't know how he <laughs> caught it yeah, on a plate with <laughs> chips. <laughs> but I, I did think we laughed afterwards. It was lucky it didn't end up in the deep fry. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it could have come out as, uh, yeah, chicken wings. Mate, that's extreme chip hunting, isn't it, for <laughs> so a seagull? A seagull flies into the kitchen at the Coolangatta Hotel, which is bizarre enough, but then the chef carries it out. Only in Coolangatta. <laughs> but, but the footy was over the weekend. Let's talk about some of the footy. I'll talk about the game I did quickly. Uh, Robbie Farris, 300th. Newcastle explode out of the blocks. They're going to win it comfortably, as the form guide probably suggested. But then the Hobbs and Shaw... Of the West Tigers, Benji Marshall and Robbie Farah. I didn't use that in commentary, even though it crossed my mind. The Hobbs and Shaw, uh, Marshall and Farah combined to get Robbie home in game 300. And um, Robbie's been a divisive character in the NRL, especially in recent years. But I loved seeing the big um, group of family and friends that formed a guard of honour for him to walk out. Led by his dad was there, late mum, Sonia, you know, watch, watching down. And uh, given that he was playing reserve grade a few years ago and with all honesty spoke with Megan pre-game and said, I really didn't think I'd get here. You could see the pride, the emotion of him playing in game 300 when he thought that opportunity had gone to then score a try, to win the game, to celebrate with so many people in the dressing room afterwards. That's another reason why rugby league is such a good game. You know, it, it it's a brutal, tough game. To get to 300, it must be a really satisfying achievement, a bit like walking Kokoda, I imagine. Yeah. Um, boy, a tougher toll on your body than walking Kokoda, though, yeah. playing 300 games. Uh, Robbie is number 39 to reach 300, so um, it's amazing how many players, and we'll see, obviously, a stack more because sports science, as good as it is, um, mm. players are looking after themselves better, and, um, yeah, they'll, there'll be a bunch, obviously, Join Robbie and Benji and Gavin Cooper, who've just uh, recently chalked up uh, 300 games. And fitting that Robbie was 39, Benji was 38. They both score in Robbie's 300th. I just thought the West Tigers fans must be watching this and going, "How good!" Massive win for the Tigers, quite obviously, and what a loss for the Newcastle Knights because it means the Knights tumble outside the top eight. Eight wins and ten losses, and now one competition point behind the Brisbane Broncos, mm. who not that long ago, that draw against the Warriors, um, I think to most people's minds, that was as good as a loss. But now, with the Knights in free fall as they are, that Broncos draw against the Warriors, 
is almost as, it's as good as a win, isn't it? Because yeah. it's the difference between them being in the top eight and not being in the top eight because they've got a worse for and against than both the Knights and the Sharks. So they'd be, if without that one pointer, um, if that was a loss they'd be behind the Sharks in 10th position. And we'll get to the other games, but you just dragged me into a topic where we're going to discuss teams 5 to 10, which one, if any, is most likely to unsettle those top four teams in the race to the Premiership. I would say still the only one that I would be tempted to nominate, Penrith. On the back of Jimmy Wins, Maloney in his final NRL season now. Even with what you saw from Manly beating Melbourne? Yes, yes. Really? Where Manly sit on the ladder right now was... They're in fifth. Fifth. They have. Okay, let's take a look at their run yeah, home. So they've probably got, got me now. They've, yeah. got the, they've got the Newcastle Knights. Then they've got the Warriors away. They've got the Tigers at home. Canberra away. Massive game. And that game may well decide who finishes fourth on the ladder. If the Raiders win that one, given that they're two points clear of Manly, that'll be a four-point gap. They'll they would take, you would think, fourth position. But if Manly should win that one, depending on obviously on results between now and then, then uh, that that will that shapes as a pivotal game as far as deciding fourth position. Or maybe... Yeah, you've got to include Manly. I, I should right. have included Manly and Penrith. But, but having said that, they finish, as I say, Raiders on the road, Melbourne at home, the rematch. Get your tickets now. Uh, I don't know what the capacity is at Brookvale these days. Probably about 18,000. Yep. That would be tops, I'd have thought. Yeah. Uh, it'll be chock-a-block, absolutely busting at the seam. So if you want to be there and to get a decent position, you'll need to buy a ticket and get there rather early to queue up to get a spot on the hill or uh, if you've got a seated ticket, then uh, good luck to you. Uh, and then the, they finish with Parramatta. So big finish for Manly. Raiders, Storm and Eels and the Eels at Bankwest where the Jekyll and Hyde Parramatta Eels, uh, Dr Jekyll at home and mm. Mr Hyde on the road. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough finish and... You know, I guess of their next four, uh, next three games, uh, the Knights, the Warriors and the Tigers, two of those at home, you'd like to think they win at least two of those. Um, given their form, they could win all three, quite obviously. Um, you know, I'd, well, they just beat Melbourne, so they could, they, could, they could run the table from here. I mean, who knows? But it's unlikely that they would do that. Canberra, while we're looking at maybe their, their closest direct opponent for that fourth spot... Canberra this week, they take on the Warriors over there. I'm calling that one on okay. uh, Friday early game. Then they take on the Roosters at home, huge game. Then they've got Melbourne away. Then they've got Manly at home. What about that run for the Raiders? That's tough. But That's... they uh, they have proven, and again yesterday, uh, they are such a, a tough team, plenty of steel about them. Mm. Starch in their defence, real resolve about the way they go about their work. Got behind yesterday. Didn't panic, just got down to what they do and uh, and steamrolled the Panthers uh, from that point on until the Panthers made a little bit of a comeback. Uh, they finished with the Sharks and the Warriors in rounds 24 and 25. The Raiders, who are both sitting outside the top eight, obviously, at the moment. So the next, uh, next three to four weeks, those three games, Roosters, Melbourne, Manly, all in a row, will decide... Uh, where the Raiders finish. It's a fascinating last month and a half of the regular season for those teams uh, battling for the top four. And I still believe you have to finish in the top four to win the premiership because if you finish five to eight, it means you have to win four games in a row. Mm. Uh, That end of the time of the season against the best teams, you know, only uh, in all likelihood, only one team will win three games in a row and that's the premiers. 
because invariably if you finish in the top four, you win week one, you get the week off. If you play the next week at home again or your home region or home uh, venue, as it is the case with Melbourne, then, you know, you win three games, you win the premiership. And so it's so tough for those teams, five to eight, to win four in a row. But maybe this is the year. Maybe, you know, Manly and or Canberra have shown enough, should they finish outside the top four, that, you know, if they just get things right in that, that month of September... I can't, I can't rule them out. Like, are you tempted so by anyone is, else? Are you tempted by tip. anyone else? So no. Manly, like me, and I, I've nominated Penrith. Would you nominate, say, Brisbane after calling their game the other night? No, because I think they're still... Well, the, they, the Broncos have looked good the last couple of weeks, but they've okay. played, played the Bulldogs and they've played the Titans. Okay. They're running last and second last, respectively, those two teams. So... I want to see them and we, we will know more about the Broncos quite obviously from this week on because they take on Melbourne, then they've got the Cowboys away, then they've got the Panthers, then they've got the Rabbitohs, they've got the Eels. Three games in a row at home. They finish with the Dogs on the road uh, down here in Sydney in round 25. They've got a pretty pretty tough run coming up, haven't they? What Cow- about- Cowboys on the road won't be easy. No. Uh, Melbourne quite obviously anywhere won't be easy. Likewise, the Panthers, likewise, the Rabbitohs, and you could probably say the same about the Eels, although that, that game is at Suncorp Stadium. So, What about Coach of the Year was? Because the um, response answer is Des Hasler, Manly performing so far and above what everyone expected of them. And you go through all the players from their front row to the edge forwards to the halves to the Trebojevic brothers. They're performing exceptionally well, bringing newcomers like Ruben Garrick in, who's having a fantastic season. But the more I thought about it, uh, Craig Bellamy is still four points clear on top of the table. Yeah. He, he's farewelled one year Cooper Cronk, the next year Billy Slater. The years are advancing on Cameron Smith, yet he continues to bring players through, in fact has too many players and has to send the likes of Scott Drinkwater to North Queensland. He might win the minor premiership by four or six points again. And just because he has always done that, should that deny him coach of the year? And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, why would you punish a coach for continually maintaining excellence as opposed to someone who comes into the team and, yes, performs super admirably. And I've actually swayed myself saying that if I had to vote right here, right now, why wouldn't it be Craig Bellamy? And you toss in the fact that it's easier to look at, obviously, the big names, and but they, these two guys are big names as well. Torhu Harris, Jordan McLean, both yep. the part of the, the, the club in the last uh, 12 months or so. It, it's more than just the Slaters and the Cronks, and that isn't in, in regards to Melbourne and Craig Bellamy's ability to keep, um, you know, finding new talent through... And developing Brandon their Smith recruitment. and yep, the like. Brandon Smith comes through, Christian Welsh comes through. Yep. Um, the, the old saying, I guess, is whoever wins the minor premiership, he's the coach of the year. Yeah. And if it is the Melbourne Storm who win the minor premiership, you make a great case for Craig Bellamy, quite obviously, being the coach of the year. But it's human nature to look beyond that and say, well, who's who's... Who's made the biggest difference to his club? And I guess in that regards, uh, Desi Hasler has got Craig mm. Bellamy covered this year because yes. Des has taken the Sea Eagles from, you know, the outdoor furniture era of Trent Barrett and the drama at, at the the Mountables and everything they didn't have up there at Narrabeen. Uh, Desi Hasler has stepped into the exact same situation and here they are. And I've just said they are one of the five contenders for the premiership. 
in 2019. So it's a massive effort from Des. Congratulations to him. Mm. Um, and there's a humility about Des at the moment. Or um, Although, I guess if you ask Craig Bellamy, he'll say humility. <laughs> what about Des pulling the strings and being the backstage singer, <laughs> as uh, Craig <laughs> phrased it last week at a, a luncheon down there in Melbourne uh, when he, he believes Des was pulling the strings of uh, Max, Krillich, Max Krillich, yes. who came out and said that stuff about Cameron Smith not playing in the spirit of the game, which I thought was outrageous. I've got to say, you know, I've, I know Max, I haven't seen him for a long time now, but um, I think he's a terrific fella and I you know, I just think he – that was a bridge too far. But, you know, but, to, yeah, to suggest re- that somebody's not playing in the spirit of the game, that, that suggests that there's – you know, really nasty under untoward it's, stuff happening, and it, that just simply isn't the case. I, I read it with a smirk on my face, thinking Max probably said it with a smirk on his face. But when I read the headlines, you know, along the lines of "manly legend savages" or you know, some wasn't quite the headlines probably weren't quite indi- uh, indicative of, of exactly how it was said and, and the manner in which it was meant. That's the way I read it. I I don't think he was coming out to lash someone as an evil perpetrator of terrible things in the game. I, I, I thought he might have almost been doing it tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, spirit of the, the last time I said on Twitter, the last time I heard somebody invoke, you know, spirit of the game, it was Anil Kumble at the SCG in 2008 when there oh, was all the, all the furor about, you know, Michael Clark didn't walk when he sneaked one to first slip and something else, and there was a whole bunch of things, and yet yeah, Monkey Gate and all that sort of stuff. Harbhajan Singh. Harbhajan Singh. And the Andrew following Simons test ran and, around waving the stump in Perth. And, and <laughs> Matt, Matt Hayden, whatever else, and Anil Kumble, and, and the Indian uh, press contingent clapped him and cheered him when he said there's only, you know, one, it basically um, invoked the, the Bill Woodfall phrase back from body line, body line mm-hmm. era and cricket and Bradman and uh, Larwood and all that sort of stuff. And he said, you know, when we said, Woodfall said, there's, a, you know, only one team playing in the spirit of the game, only one team playing cricket. Well, Max to say that, you know, they're not playing. Cameron doesn't play in the spirit of the game. That's, yeah, yeah. That, that crosses a big line for me. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. When you read it, I always sometimes think, I'd like to know how that was said. Yeah. It, but but when you say it, you've got to, you've got to think about how it will look. Mm. How will this be yes. portrayed? Because you know if somebody rings you up and says, I want to ask you about, you know, what do you think about Cameron Smith? Yeah. You're thinking, well, okay, well, look, they're, they're fishing. Yeah. And oh, the referee. Yeah. 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 Oh, he the referees laugh. the game. And, then you go, you know, oh, seriously, yeah. You know, takes it too far, whatever, blah, 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 whatever else and stuff. Whatever, and and I, don't, I don't think he plays in the spirit of the game. Well, if you say that. Mm. You, you know, you should know, mm, you yeah. shouldn't be naive enough to not know how that's going to be portrayed. Yeah. So, and Max has been around a fair while now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was, yeah, over and above. Well, speaking uh, way, of Twitter, way, way too much. You mentioned Twitter. What were some of the questions we were asked this week was? There was a little bit of tidying up from last week's discussion regarding the salary cap. Well, off the back of, um, I guess, the weekend because there was a, a bunch of forward passes or, or passes that were called forward, which whether you believe they were forward or not called forward, there was one, the... the Decisive try in the Rabbitohs Dragons game in the 80th minute, the last play of the game. Uh, there are, I'm sure, there's a bunch of Roger Dragons fans who believe that was a forward pass. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I couldn't definitively say either way on two of Arsashek. To I've looked at two of Arsasheks again this morning, and you know, having thought maybe initially it was forward, and then thinking no, it was backward. I've changed my mind three or four times, and I don't know. And and 
you know, I defy anybody to say it was definitively one or the other because the camera angles are horrendous. Mm. If we've got cameras, as we do in rugby league, positioned on the halfway line, well, unless it's on the halfway line, you can't tell. You mm. can't tell one way or the other whether the pass, the ball came out of the hand backwards. So I guess we'll never know with that one. Um, well, we read but, I, but I have no doubt that the, the touch judges get fooled by physics mm. because they're following the play and then they, they, they prop and pause to stop and see whether a pass is forwards, like a, usually a decisive pass, a long cutout ball where a five-eighth or half-back bypasses the centre to go to the winger or whatever else, that's usually the one that they get fooled on because to them, relative to where they are, the ball travels forward and they, their brain says to them it's travelled forward, but in effect, in effect it hasn't travelled forward. And you've got a great uh, study. You've raised it before. What's the YouTube link? So if you, just, if you punch in, you can go to my Twitter because I punched it up this morning. Uh, at Warren Smith Fox. Okay, you'll find it on there. Twitter. You can you can find it there, but there's or you can Google. I think it's Total Rugby. Just to, just Google Total Rugby forward pass, and there's a, a, a program. It's it's pretty old now. I think it's been around for a while. This bit of vision, um, but a rugby show in the UK or in, in Europe um, that did you know had a look at forward passes, and it's, and it's a great bit of video. And it explains it and shows you how passes. If you throw a pass of any sort of length, in reality, what well, if you're running it you know, unless you're standing still, if you're running at just, you know, 15 k's an hour, which is just a, that's a, you know, a, a fast jog, maybe 15 k's an hour. That's not even, that's not, you know, we know players mm. run at 35 k's an hour at top speed. But it's almost impossible to have the ball travel backwards relative to the ground if you're running at that sort of speed and if you throw it, you know, from a centre to a winger or such. So, um, and it obviously um, in the Daily Telegraph this morning, Thor Rothfield has um, got a story talking about Graham Annesley having had discussions with the, the guys from Hawkeye, and we know Hawkeye from cricket for the most part with, um, you know, LBW decisions and that sort of stuff, um, and whether that could be used and the guys at Hawkeye believe they can develop something which will allow them to, you know, allow officials and the bunker or whatever else to down the track in two or three years' time to be able to rule on forward passes. It'll have to be very clever technology because... It has to take into – you can't just measure the ball quite obviously. They measure the ball in cricket and they do it in tennis, mm. a variety of sports. But you've got to measure the ball in, rela in relation to something else and that something else is the hands that the ball left. That was my and question. I don't, know, I don't know how – obviously I'm not a, a, a boffin that looks at these sorts of things as far as technology is concerned. Um, and I wouldn't know where to begin if I was tasked with trying to measure a ball in relation to the person who threw it and where he's – whether the ball came out of his hands in a backwards motion, I don't know how you go about that. At some stage down the track, it may well be there. But to my way of thinking, the players would have to wear gloves so you could have some sort of measuring device, something, you know, like a chip in the mm. gloves where you could track where the gloves were and where the ball was as it leaves the hands. Short of that, I don't know how we actually... That does you know, sound like rugby league in 100 years. Well, <laughs> if the game, if if all these contact sports are still going and we're measuring balls in relation to to players and how they they pass them, then yes, it might be a hundred years down the track. My, my initial reaction was we won't see Hawkeye ruling on forward passes. I don't think, uh, who, I, who honestly, knows? I don't think we will because I don't. You know, I'll happily be proven wrong, but I don't see how they have the technology to to measure the ball in relation to the hands and yeah. and how it actually leaves the hands and. I just yeah I can't I can't see how you do it. I don't think we'll see it. And you know and, and even if we could do it and Luke Keery has been asked this I'm guessing this morning at Roos's recovery I saw Cody Kay from Fox Sports who tweeted a comment from Luke Keery who said 
you know, forget Hawkeye. I, we don't need Hawkeye. Um, you know, passes go forward, passes go backwards, deal with it. Mm. Ba- that, paraphrasing that, but that was, you know, his, his last line was deal with it. Mm. That's, that's Luke Keery, someone who's there at the coalface, whose livelihood at times depends. And yesterday, um, Cooper Cronk perhaps incorrectly denied his 100th try of his career. Mm. He'll score it some stage before the end of the season. He'll get across the line, I've got no doubt. But, you know, as Luke said, uh, we're just going to have to deal with it for the time being because there is no solution. And, well, and if you had... You know, more cameras along the sideline. You could have a camera. I've always said that the NRL should have cameras on the 20-metre line at either end of the field, which I think would help with um, lots of kicks and um, players in front of kicks, potentially on being offside on kicks Mm. and kick chases, that sort of thing. Invariably, lots of kicks happen around about the 20-metre line if you watch a game and you'll notice that lots of bombs are launched from about 20 metres out. Rubbers sometimes, if you're putting a grubber through an attack... Mm from around about the 20-metre line. Is he onside? Is he offside? Is he behind the ball? Is he in front of the kicker? That sort of stuff. Um, But, you know, you will never, and I had somebody ask me on Twitter again um, in the last 24 hours, should we be able to rule on forward passes with video? Uh, Flat, no, because you can't can't tell. Unless the pass is, you know, released around about in line with the cameras on the 50-metre line, and even then, you know, there was one yesterday in our game. Here's, Here's an example. Pass back on the inside, and who was it? Was it was it Cooper Cronk or something with the Roosters in attack heading towards the southern end of ANZ Stadium? And I think James Tedesco had overrun the pass back on the inside. But to Brandy and my way of thinking, and it happened around about the halfway line. We were right in line with it in the commentary box. And the pass to our way of thinking went backwards, back on the inside to, I think it was to Tedesco, but he was—he reached behind him and reeled it in. But obviously, his body was way in front of where the pass was released from. But we, to Brandon Eyes' way of thinking, he caught it. Optical uh, illusion. What was a? What, uh, it was the old optical illusion. But mm. The pass went backwards. Mark Gasnier, who was two meters from me and one meter from yeah, Brandy, I said, heard it. "Said no, that was obviously forward." <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Yeah. So there's yeah. there, there's only three of us there, and two of us thought it one way and one thought the other way. So good luck getting consensus amongst a group of fans yeah. or viewers or whatever else. It just can't work. And at the risk of taking us back to where we started, I was asked on Twitter the other day if Tavita Pangai Jr. is hit with a grade two charge, why didn't Philip Sammy need to come from the field straight away after he was left feeling the ill effects of that contact from Pangai Jr.? It's a good question. But my initial reaction was, well, I'm not a doctor. And I'm sure doctors would say that you can receive the most seemingly innocuous knock and be concussed. And conversely, you can be heavily hit and be A-OK. And because we're not doctors, we can't make that decision. So there are, there are five indicators for if you are concussed that the NRL uses, loss of consciousness, falling to the ground without protective action, seizures, memory impairment or balance disturbance. That late last one is why we see the trainers asking them to shut their eyes and stand on one foot. Uh, I don't know whether Philip Sammy suffered any of them, but again, I'm not well, a doctor, so I can't really answer the, the tweet. Again, I was there at the time uh, calling the game with uh, Corey Parker and, and Mark Gasnier and Justin Hodges down there on the sideline. And boy, it was a hell of a collision. Mm. My goodness. And I just, in, in, literally in the seconds before that, the, the Broncos forwards, one after the other, I described them as an armoured personnel carrier <laughs> convoy. It was Lodge and it was Haas and it was Pangai and then it was somebody else, um, you know, Offa Gowie. 
And as I said earlier in the commentary as well, the Broncos forward pack at the moment, the size of them, it's, it goes back to the days of Brad Thorne and Petro Sivanasiva and Shane Webke and Gordon Tallis, where the, the Broncos back at one point, you know, they were, the forwards, they would just smash you up against the back fence. They'd forget about scoring a try. They just keep take, taking hit-ups all the way into row three of the grandstand. Uh, and an unbelievable forward pack they had at that time. And we'll see what happens. And there's some big games, as we said, coming up for the Broncos um, in the weeks ahead. So we'll know more about them in the next month or so. But this young forward pack, and we were speaking about them this time last year. You went mm. through them. and mm. Wow, impressive young forward pack. And they will develop into a, a bit of a juggernaut, I do believe. I'm intrigued to see what happens to them through the back end of this season. Yeah. Was. But uh, having said that, Tavita Pangai comes down yeah. the field, cleans up uh, Philip Sammy on the kick. And it's one of those ones where you go, wow, what a collision. They're unbelievable. And Philip Sammy gets up. You know, It's almost like the cartoon with like stars and birds <laughs> you know, <laughs> flying around his head sort of thing. And you sort of go... I think he's going to be coming from the field. He never, he never came from the field. Mm. But eventually he gets into half time and they look at him and go, mate, you're no good. Or he then fails an HIA assessment back in the dressing room. And you sort of think, well, he played the last 16 minutes of the half in that condition. And again, as I said, Corey Parker's looking at me and I'm looking at Corey and we're both expecting he would go from the field for an HIA. Mm. And um, after the discussion as to whether Tabita Pangai had an issue, and I certainly believed he did have an issue, and he, he was sin-binned and charged subsequently. Subsequently, I thought he might have got a, a more serious charge than he did, actually. But, um, yeah, I, yeah, you've just gone through the, the parameters there. If, you know, if it, as you say, if it looks like a duck's and, duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And to my way of thinking... Philip Sammy looked like a duck that had been run over by a Mack truck. Mm. A- and I thought that little duck should have come from the field to get an HIA. And I'd, I don't know why he didn't. They went through the protocols as they would see fit quite obviously. I guess it's a question potentially, potentially for the NRL. They might ask the Titans about that. I just, you know, just, just looked at the way he was on the ground. He had that sort of look about him. You go, wow, what hit me? Did you get the number mm. of that truck that came through and cleaned me up there? I didn't realise the Gold Coast Highway extended through the middle of Seabus Super Stadium. Um, I just thought he was going to come from the field. He never did, but eventually he didn't play any time in the second half. So, uh, you know, the, the medical staff, they know better than us and they were happy for him to continue on. But uh, subsequently they second-guessed themselves or he's, maybe his condition deteriorated and they thought, no, you are now... Not before, but now, not able to continue on. I don't know. Oh, well, this weekend, who are the Gold Coast got? Shall we turn to round 20, it was? The Gold Coast, they have the, the Roosters this weekend. Right. So uh, what, are you, what are you suggesting? Good luck. <laughs> the Titans' chances of beating the Roosters? I wouldn't have thought, but the Roosters, boy, they've been hit yeah. hard, haven't they, with injuries in the last couple of weeks. Jake Friend, having just got back on the paddock, out again with a fractured arm. Uh, Boyd Cordner, calf issue. Still waiting for confirmation on Siwa Taukayaho. I'm just really hoping it isn't an ACL because oh, he's, he's already good. had one. He's so good. The likes of he and Isaac Liu, they don't get the headlines that the Roosters behind the likes of Cordner and Tedesco and Cronk. But, but you speak to any of the players about those two 
and they'll they'll talk for half an hour about how important they are, how understated they are. So if he's got an injury, that that is a, that is a huge blow as we look towards September, which is not too far away. And he took a knock last week in the game against the Newcastle Knights at the SCG, and there was a great shot, a cutaway, as we call it in the business, when you leave the, the play and you go to the coach's box, that's a cutaway, um, of Trent Robinson. I don't know why I mentioned that, but there you go. And, <laughs> Some um, bosses say cut him out. <laughs> and Trent Robinson was white, looking at Siwataka Aho come mm. from the field last week, fearing that he may have done... A knee. Well, I don't know if he actually came from the field. I think he batted on. Yeah. Um, but you could tell Trent, he's like, wow, this, you know, knowing his history, this could be super serious. And they and he's a massive part of their team mm. and what they do as far as their forward pack is concerned. Um, great front rower. And at times he's probably been the best front rower in the game at various stages over the past couple of years. If they lose him for an extended period, if not the rest of the season, that really changes things for the Roosters, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm just watching the Roosters all season thinking they haven't yet had everyone on the field at the same time and fired as a unit for the whole 80 minutes. I'm, w- I'm wondering whether it's ever going to happen in 2019. Are we going to see the Roosters at their brilliant best for 80 minutes, maybe over a period of weeks? Uh, are they saving all that for when it really matters? Well, think back to last year. We were, we were saying the same thing. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. Maybe not. Maybe about this point last year. They got going, certainly, around about this time last year, didn't they? Mm. And, and we know what they did in the finals. They were fantastic and their performance in the grand final was just incredible. One of the great grand final performances you will ever see from yep. any team. Uh, they were so good. Um, so mate, yeah, it takes a lot of things to go right. You need luck with injuries. They haven't had a lot of luck with injuries obviously so far this year with Jake Friend missing you know, now two lengthy stints on the field, from the field with the bicep and now a forearm as a consequence of that bicep um, reconstruction. And if they were to lose Boyd Cordner for a period, he's had calf issues in the past. Yeah. And if they were to lose Siwataka certainly really changes things mm. as far as they're concerned. And they've got, got some depth. Um, maybe not as well stocked for forward depth as the, the Melbourne Storm, who always do a good job yeah. through the middle of the season of adding a couple of players just in case uh, going into the season. Yeah, I remember Nate Miles. You know, joined them mid-season from Manly a little couple of years back um, on their way to the Premiership in 2017, in fact. Um, and then, uh, you know, Albert Vette, they've added more this year as well. So, um, yeah, the Roosters have got Lindsay Collins, who's there. He's looked pretty good at various stages in 2019. Really like him as mm-hmm. a player of the future um, as well. Uh, Nat Butcher, who didn't play on the weekend, while not a front rower, but certainly a back rower, could fill a job for for Boyd Cordner on that left edge as well. So they've got, they've got some depth there. They're what about not... Sam Verrills? What position does he get used in? A, is that hooking role? Um... Well, I think so. I think yeah. what he, from what we saw yesterday, I think that um, he's likely there number nine yeah. ongoing now, yeah. that having been given the start, albeit against the Bulldogs, who they were mm. expected to beat yesterday, and, and Trent Robinson probably thought, well, if I'm going to give you – he started against the Panthers back in round 13 – Started again yesterday and... Um, Good player. Uh, and, and, and I think Vic Radley at lock forward adds so much to yeah. them, especially in attack. Yeah. That link man, first receiver, allowing um, Cronk and, and Kiri to be that one pass wider and to, to link more, maybe more directly or to be the man to deliver the ball to Joseph Manu, who was sensational yesterday, one of the best fins mm. in the game. Such Didn't we see some fins this round? Uh, unbelievable. Mike, Mike Acevo. Oh, my goodness. Hello. Yeah, who needs trying to tackle Michael with that big arm yeah. extended and just just destroying people? Who needs Sammy? 
Well, uh, someone will, and someone <laughs> they will, will. Someone will buy him. Imagine if it, he was on the field with Micah on one side of the field and Sammy Radradra on the other. The Fijian population of Sydney, if not Australia, yeah. would all be in the stadium at the one time to the see Fijian the Fijian Nines team at the end of the year could be pretty handy. With I can't wait. A few of that. I can't no. wait to see Vernon Valu and Steve Ho and a whole range of Fijian yeah. players. Yeah. It will be sensational. Very much their theatre, their form, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Nines. Yeah. Like... It's, Two up from sevens. Obviously. It's, it's the My maths is still good. It's almost the touch footy game, uh, you know, as we've said in the past. Yeah. When you're over there on holidays and you're at the yeah. resort and at four o'clock the bell rings and you... Uh, I wouldn't like to be playing for Touch footy, touch <laughs> footy. Who wants to play touch footy? <laughs> I'd Put like to play. I just can't in comparison with you. <laughs> I, but, uh, wow, I just... They are, they are so, ah, so talented. If you want to it's feel fantastic. old and incompetent, go and play touch footy with the Fijians. Or volleyball. Yeah, awesome. uh, anything. Anything. <laughs> snorkeling. Actually, I went all right snorkeling. Now, <laughs> was uh, the Gold Coast might name their coach before um, their new coach before this weekend's game. What impact, if any, that has, who knows? But look out for that on the radar with an announcement imminent, I'm led to believe. So, What are you thinking? What are you hearing? Well, with that, all that information oh, on board. I, I had two people adamantly, adamantly say, one of them said, this is a bit like the forward pass, yeah. said, uh, it's Kevy. And then, um, uh, no, it's, uh, somebody else told me definitely, Justin Holbrook. Definitely Justin Holbrook. And I was like, wow, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, my reaction when I heard that the announcement was imminent was that it was Justin Holbrook, just because I thought we would have heard more and it might have taken a bit more back and forth if it was going to be Kevy. Uh, but we will see, and we'll see what impact that has on the Titans, who I like what Craig Hodges, the interim coach, had to say, that you know they're playing for their future. We're not going to sugarcoat it. There are blokes here who are happy to be with a team that's running 16th. We're not happy to run 16th. So you're going to have to get a wriggle on or pack your bags. Um, so there's a shake-up coming. There'll be players lost from the Titans. The new coach will come in, cast plenty aside over the next few years, no doubt, and... Hopefully find happier times. There aren't any players in their team at the moment um, who are off contract at the end of this season. So, you know, the team that Craig Hodges, since um, Garth Brennan's axing from the club, mm. Craig Hodges has made some changes, but the vast majority are on contract for yeah, the, you're right. for next year and and beyond. There aren't too many long-termers. Jared Wallace is a long-termer. He's there until 2022. Shannon Boyd's a long-termer. Uh, yes, but, um, you know, only Jack Stockwell, who's off contract of the of the team from the weekend, uh, Michael Gordon obviously is coming to the end of his career. He'll mm. more than likely retire from the NRL and play a bit of local footy up there with the uh, the, the Tweed Coast Pirates, I think, um, where Brent Kite is coaching yep. up there in the local comp. So, but uh, they're going to have to if there are changes to be made, and, and you know, I guess contracts are only there to protect both parties. But if one of those parties wants to um, make a change, as we've seen in recent times, then that change certainly can be made. And you would expect there'd be quite a cha- you know. Uh, it's one thing to say there'll be, uh, you know, wholesale changes, mm. but you've got to got to have the players that you think can can bring something to the club that's missing at the moment. It's no good, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater if you're only replacing the baby with another baby that doesn't yeah. produce much more. Um, action pack show, lots to talk about. We yeah. tons more we could have talked about as well. Salary cap. Um, we had uh, comments about the salary cap in recent times. We might we might uh, throw it out there. We should do an email, just a, just a mailbag show, just one mailbag show, maybe an extra show or something next yeah. week. But anyway, if you've got All questions, correspondence to fill. If you have questions, <laughs> fire in your questions to at Warren Smith Fox on Twitter and at Matt Russell Fox, Fox as well yeah. on Twitter, and fire off anything you like. 
Uh, we won't promise to answer everything because I'm sure we get some nice <laughs> If you, if you need to know how to replace a flick mixer tap, I can tell you all about that, having you, done that this morning. If you're a plumber, make contact with Matt Russell. Josh Reynolds is. Until then, you can take me now. I've seen it all.